When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hampler. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And as we all know, today we really do need to be the front <laughs> of the plane because we are all business to begin with before we get into the real, real tough stuff of this week's mm-hmm. episode 11, we should point out. Uh, if you want to follow this podcast, you might as well do it now because you may not want to by the end of this one. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also follow either of your hosts there. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. Um, you can listen to this podcast through Apple Podcasts where we invite you to subscribe. Uh, again, if this is the first time you've ever listened to us, why is it only now? Go back and listen to these ones first. You need to build yourself up to this episode 11. Uh, if Spotify's your thing, we're on there where you can follow. If Amazon Music is your jam, and I've yet to meet anybody who it is, so let us know. But by all means, get us on Amazon. Uh, you can listen to us on Acast where you can subscribe. And of course, we invite you to listen to the Acast stream of the podcast that gets uploaded every Friday through that at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. And for anyone that can leave reviews, that can rate and do all that good stuff, we would love you to do just that. It's mainly through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you want to leave the five stars, leave a quick comment. You can put whatever you like in that box. It can be nasty. It can be nice. But we will read it out on this show. You will get yourself a star in our Hollywood talk of fame. We'll have another one of them coming at the end of the episode. Uh, and, yeah, we would love it. It gets us up the charts. It gets us noticed. It's everything you've ever heard on every podcast you've ever listened to, except on this one. It gets more people talking themselves horse about a talking horse. Another review to come at the end of this one. And, thankfully, thankfully, I wish we could just skip there right now. I don't really want to have to get to the review first. But there will be another one coming after this one is done. But you love the punishment. We all love the punishment. <laughs> it's why we're all still here. And yes, if you haven't already picked up the vibes, or if you've just been living under a rock while we've been doing this podcast, or maybe this is your first little dabble into the world <laughs> of Podcast Horseman and Bojack Horseman. If so, I suggest you pause this and go and find any, literally any other episode that isn't an episode <laughs> 11 in a series of Podcast Horseman. Because Michael Hamflet as mm. told to us by Netflix in the synopsis. This is, of course, Season 4, Episode 11, Times Arrow. In 1963, young socialite Beatrice Sugarman meets the rebellious butterscotch horseman at her debutante party, which, you know, if this were any other show, 
would sound innocent enough, would sound exciting, maybe even nostalgia-bringing for both of us. <laughs> but as we know, watching this show, anything that is based in 1960 or, or further back even, mm. just in the past in general, to be honest, <laughs> has a tendency to bring us pure sadness. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about right. Um, we're, <laughs> we're wrong-footed from the beginning, too. Because we're not even in 1963. We're in the bleak and miserable present day. If you remember last week, we saw Bojack leave uh, Beatrice at that uh, like dejected and dreadful care home by choice as well. He was looking for the most awful place could possibly be. This flashes us ever so slightly back to Bojack speeding along in the car, taking her along to that care home. He's got Beatrice in the, uh, in the passenger seat. She's still calling him Henrietta. Uh, and there's a really cute gag here about, him, about her saying, my son is a ball of gas and is also a star. This seems to catch Bozak's attention because maybe she's finally remembered who he is because she's mentioned he's a star. Before revealing that she's actually talking to the sun, she looks to one side, you see the blazing sun beaming down on the pair of them and it is indeed a ball of gas and a star. That, if anything, offends Bojack's sensibilities even more. So it's still uh, horribly unclear what she does and doesn't know, uh, but she kind of seems unfazed about going to the awful care home all the same. Um if anything, she wants him to get there quicker because she hasn't got a concept of exactly what's going on. Obviously, she continues to deal with the dementia that we've seen over the course of the series. Um, or at least that's what we're led to believe, even though Bojack remains unclear what she might be doing as a as a put-on or something like that. Uh, again, she tells him to get there as quick as possible because, as we are reminded again, Time's Arrow neither stands still nor reverses, merely marches forward. And, uh, and when she looks to, quote, Henrietta for agreement, this time she actually finds her. In the driver's seat, rather than Bojack, is now a woman with a face blocked by permanently moving black scribble. It's uh, something akin to the style of animation we saw in Super Piece of Shit, where nothing is particularly clear. And in this case, it's Henrietta's face. Uh, it's very jagged and you can just little bits of her details of her face. You kind of start to make out and then another scribble, like sort of jarringly gets in the way of it. Um, and Beatrice herself is suddenly young again. Uh, she sees her old self in the uh, rearview mirror of the car and then hits it and then just gets out of the car and is suddenly a little girl. The car is no longer moving along the road. The car is just stationary against a completely white background with no details in whatsoever. Um, the scenery is now nothing more than a white background and the shot zooms further and further and further out from young Beatrice making her look increasingly more frightened and alone. And that's how we hit the credits. And that's it, right? That's the end of the episode. That's, we're good. Yeah, it, it moved forward. It moved all the way at the end. When I said credits, I meant the end ones. We yep. got through it. Time's good. our row. It marches forward. We march forward together. I, I wish. I wish. Oh, man. Oh, how I wish. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on that because I got some bad news for you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, we did get the joys, I think I'll call them, of stupid pieces. Mm. I guess they were the the visual joys, maybe. All right, the episode content wasn't necessarily joy. <laughs> but as soon as we see the Henrietta face scribble out, one, we are concerned because you kind of know this, the animation is, and they've earned this as well, obviously. They've mm. led you to know that that animation only spells bad news for you. And you kind of get the gist we're going to head down the same route because it felt akin to, I think it might even be as far back as um, maybe season one when Bojack, uh, the downer ending episode 11, funnily enough, another episode 11, mm -hmm. where Bojack is against a grey background and it, all of his like uh, outlines disappear, if you remember, and he yes. sort of turns into a 
blare of paint from all of his mm-hmm. colours. A similar kind of vibe going on here with the young Beatrice as we zoom out to see this big white screen and we kind of get the gist that, obviously, based on what you're looking at here, we could be heading towards someone's psyche rather than actually being in the present and current time. And it'd be fair to say that this was the white flag of surrender already coming up <laughs> to me. It's like, oh, here we go, here we go. It's um, the zoom out on, the, like the pull out on young, and I mean, when I'm, we're not saying like teenage, we're talking childhood Beatrice. Yeah. It's quite scary. And then it kind of makes you think, actually, what that feeling you feel when you see the black scribble is fear. You feel quite scared. And that's them obviously tapping very early into Beatrice's dementia here. They're trying to get you in her head, her head, which is now muddled and troubled with all these half finished memories of the past and the difficult past that we know at least a little bit of. And I'm afraid to say we're going to find out a little bit more of it. Um, the episode starts proper with uh, childhood Beatrice at school. Um She's attempting to go on a slide. Um, the slide itself is warped beyond anything anybody could realistically climb, kind of like setting the scene for yet another memory that itself might be warped. Um, and three bullies, uh, led by a goose person called Camelia Bloodsworth. Stop her. Um, they stop her getting on the slide. It's just a bit of nasty playground bullying, in effect. They call her fat, they call her stupid, and they even mock a cough that she's got just to be extra cruel. Nonetheless, she braves it, and she climbs up to the top of the slide anyway. But then as she gets to the top... They stomp on her fingers and she falls hard to the ground, hitting her back and head on the floor. She cries. Um, It's the next morning. And we know this, I should point out, through a book that she is reading. And this is a theme through the episode. Time passes through books as exposition, which is just another one of them tremendous Bojack sight gags or time movement gags, where it was once Bojack driving his car and technology and shops and things like that. In this case, it's all the books that Beatrice at various ages in her life is ingested. So the book cover here says the next morning, obviously, which tells us where we're at. And she doesn't want to go to school. Um, but her father, Joseph Sugarman, is unsympathetic uh, to her wanting to avoid the bullies and the illness that she does actually have. Um, quote, stop making books, your friends. Reading does nothing for young women but build their brains, taking valuable resources away from their head, breasts and hips. Um, so he's kind of got no interest in her carrying on reading or indeed whatever sickness she's got. She passes out in his arms. She's that sick. Um, it's far from just the fear of the bullies. Uh, and we find out uh, through a very small flash forward that she's actually developed scarlet fever. We learn this uh, via the sound of Joseph screaming at Honey Sugarman, who, of course, at this point has had the lobotomy that we saw earlier in the season. Um, this is illustrated in the show by a silhouette of Honey, where you can see the line, uh, the, the surgical stitching of the line where a part of her brain was basically removed um, in order to help her forget um you know, all the all the death and the tragedy that she'd experienced in her life. Um, he's expressing anger with the results of the lobotomy because she has dared to not take effective care of their daughter together and about the scarlet fever. He's put this on her, despite the fact that he was the one that forwarded it to get the surgery to have some of her brain removed. Um, he goes back to Beatrice. He tells her that she'll be fine uh, and notes that with her throat swollen shut, she might be able to lose some weight. So it's not all bad, is it? Um, we'll flash forward to many, many years later. Um, Beatrice is a what looks to be an elderly teenager at this point, and we find out that she's been fitted up for a debutante ball. Um, she's having a dress fitted by the maid in the house. Um, and there's some good Bojack Horseman-style exposition about it being 1963. They talk about how um, there can be no possible major event or anything like that, of course, referring to the fact that eventually JFK will soon be shot. Um, Joseph is absolutely thrilled to be setting her up with Corbin Creamerman. He's the, uh, the heir to the Cream and Empire. Um, and then it briefly moves forward to the ball itself. 
where Corbin and Beatrice are not having a very good time. Um, should point out at this point that all the other guests in the ballroom are just bodies with no faces. People are moving around, they're filling the scenery, but you can't see any of the detail on their faces. Um, they're all completely blank. It then jerks back to Beatrice's room, uh, where she's still speaking to her dad, Joseph, and we learn that really this day is about him being able to merge the Sugarman and Creamerman empires separately. Um, he believes that he can do great business with sugar and cream and the, all the sort of the all the work they can do together. He's already mapped out the advert in his mind. He's not thinking about his daughter's love life because he believes that she should be there to service his future business life. Um, What's great here is that Beatrice has become very socially aware and um, politically conscious, which of course is through all the reading that she has done, trying to empower herself in a world that doesn't want her to be empowered. Um, so naturally, Joseph bollocks her for that. Um, says she has, quote, a mouth full of sass. Um, we, go, we go back to the ball uh, and Beatrice pies off Clemelia Bloodsworth, who is, of course, older now, um, and her date before another sharp cut takes her to Beatrice at the bar meeting Butterscotch Horseman. Um, he's just there across the party. He's kind of like a, a cool teenager type that wants nothing to do with this world of debutantes and heirs to businesses and things of that nature. Um, he tells her that he's moving to California to join the Beat Poets and write the next great American novel because he believes himself to be one of the voices of a generation. Anybody that's ever said that in recorded history proved not to be the voice of a generation. Uh, they flirt a little bit more. Um, save for a moment where Beatrice mentions her mother and the frame ever so briefly uh, sort of like cuts to that silhouette yet again of a mother just against a white background with the incision yet again that's in that one mention when uh, Butterscotch errantly believes that she's died because of the way that Beatrice has spoken about her um, all very sad then it cuts sharply where 1963 Beatrice appears to see present day Bojack checking into that disgusting care home that we saw at the end of the last episode the start of this episode um, we hear Bojack asking to pay for a five year lump sum for Beatrice to stay there uh, before, again, without really having any time to digest any of that, it goes back to the debutante ball. It's as if, obviously, her flashing through these generations is, again, possibly more like a case of her trying to reconcile the various mixed-up thoughts and memories in her head. Um, but back at the debutante ball, Beatrice uh, debuts, which in this case is dressage. She uh, completes a show jumping track. It's a, it's a really nice way to like do one of them typical all these people are animals, Michael, but it's in this very sort of serious situation she is, she is debuting. Um, however, she's not really interested in any of this. She sees Butterscotch leaving, she follows him, uh, and it cuts to them having sex in his car in that kind of like lovely sort of like lover's lane, romantic kind of like hillside view where they're, uh, they're kind of getting romantically involved together um, before fading back to Beatrice, uh, back at home with the two weeks later book. Um, again, more exposition. Joseph has set her up with Corbin Creamerman, again, trying to force through that relationship. She's really, really not interested, but Joseph screams at her, quote, I don't give a damn where your interest lies. So she's got to go on the date regardless. Um, they walk in the park. Um, again, everybody in the park, same as the ball, all blank faces. Um, and Corbin bangs on about his passion for food chemistry, um, which Beatrice is initially bored by, but ultimately it starts to admire his love for it. It turns out that really he's got frustrations with his father's expectations because he loves the product so much. He wants to do more than what his dad does, which is all about business. It appears that that might be the breakthrough in their relationship together. And then literally as she's getting the words out about giving him a shot, she vomits all over him, covers his face in sick. Um, and we get time jumping forward one last time. I will take a breath in a second. Sorry, I know we're covering a lot here. It's a deep one. Time jumps forward one last time and Beatrice has tracked down Butterscotch 
uh, after <laughs> after giving her the number to a pizza parlor, which is obviously a family trait. Um, she tracked him down, and predictably, she's pregnant. Um, but Scotch politely suggests uh, different ways that she could get an abortion. Um, and then, weirdly, we get a, like a quite violent and rapid cut to something that looks a bit like a teddy bear or a doll, um, just surrounded by flames. More on that later. Oh, God, I wish there wasn't. Uh, but it's back to Beatrice, and she says no to the abortion. But um, after reminiscing on the night together, they agree to try and sell. They agree to try and make it work. They start painting a beautiful picture of married life in San Francisco, and they kiss passionately. The Polaroid montage that we get that follows that shows them doing everything they said to do. They got married by the Golden Gate Bridge. We see Beatrice is heavily pregnant. Um, this feels like a nice place to stop because the episode doesn't give us those traditional breaks. So ahead of the next chapter of Beatrice and Butterscotch's life, what were your takes on the first one, I guess, and everything that led up to what would ultimately be Bojack Horseman's origin story? So this was the end, right? This finished. And this is. <laughs> like, I'm gonna. Like, I'm, gonna like be, I'm gonna be the bearer of so much bad news for you tonight. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, are you sure this wasn't the end? Because this feels like a pretty nice way to end it. You know, we get the the baby's being born, they're being married. This is it, right? Yeah. This is. <laughs> we can all go home now. <laughs> yeah, so the baby was born, and then the baby uh, stars in a 90s TV show. He gets his own show, Bojack Horseman, the end. And that's it. That's the that's end, it. yeah. That sounds good. That's actually the All right. season finale. It's how that is us. <laughs> well, I think if, if I wish I wish this was the case. And as as always, when we do this podcast or when we watch this show, we do work in Rule of Three, so I imagine that joke's going to come back in again at some point <laughs> for me because I have no new material. But unfortunately... Uh, we've already seen quite a few things going on here. This blend we start to understand is the kind of patchwork of Beatrice's sort of thought process, isn't it? We understand her mindset isn't quite where it should be, obviously, if we're leading along with the thought that she does indeed have dementia, as she's been trying to tell us for all of this season. This sort of patching and glitching of moments of her life coming in and out makes for some real interesting stuff, while also incredibly harrowing, like the... Debutant ball with no faces of, on anybody mm. is a very, um, oh, I mean, it's a tension that you can't really put your finger on. It's really haunting. And the, the way they do it brilliantly, as um, she's talking with Corbin Creamer and in the Debutant ball initially, uh, the music in the background it just sounds muffled, like it's coming from like a room that you aren't in elsewhere. This is brilliant. Something it reminded me of. I don't know if anybody's ever seen uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild who's listening to this podcast. There's an amazing moment where they use a similar sound where it's this dreamlike oh, almost okay. where the sound is so muffled. But because of the way they have these no faced creatures and, and people in it, my word, it's just it really puts you on edge. It's not a comfortable watch this, even though what we're actually seeing is pretty generic and just it's it's actually almost like a um like a teen coming of age drama thing that we're watching, like Corbin Creamer is just like kind of mumbling his words. They're on the prom date, essentially. Yeah. That's what it's like. But in the background, we've got this Kubrick esque nightmare going on. Where that. and it's it's got real it's got real uh, eyes wide shut vibes about it, hasn't it? Like, well, the two references when you said Kubrick there, I thought mine are like your references are far cooler one than mine because I had two Kubrick ones. I had Eyes Wide Shut and the ballroom in the Overlook in The Shining when Jack goes for a drink. Yes. And he envisions the waiter, and it's as if the room is coming alive behind him. And it's like, wow, they're trying to capture horror here. They're trying to capture the vibe of a horror. And I don't, I also meant to mention this before. Well, I would have, but we've obviously been coming through everything. I do not think it's a coincidence that we saw two twins earlier on in the episode as well. 
um, in a nightmarish moment where Beatrice is pushed off the, the slide or whatever it is by yeah. the two awful-looking twins with the similar haircuts to the kids, mm-hmm. and she falls to the floor in such a horrible moment. The patchwork, as I mentioned, though, is just, it's amazing. Like, the, the, the what they are slowly building here, this uh, horrible, like, nothing is... The narrator is the most unreliable we've had probably yes. at this point, I would imagine it's fair to say. But one thing I do just want to say before we move on to the next bit. Did Beatrice remind you of anyone, man, when she was talking? Because I could not stop thinking that young Beatrice, who is well-read, young Beatrice, who is very much not like a father, is very much like Diane. Like, yeah, she is Diane incarnate before we ever meet Diane. And it's so strange to see that, given the Beatrice that we know from modern mm. day in a multitude of different ways. That's a great take, yeah. The, the, again, that idea that she's trying to better herself from a family that she doesn't really wants to put a, their thumb on her ultimately on any of her kind of ambition. And obviously, yeah. it was successful because these are old times. This is not the present day where Diane can try and pull herself away. Every like Joseph's cutoffs here are brutal. Every single one, every single one to a line, are just awful. Um, yeah. yeah, your point about the unreliable narrator, they create very quickly in this episode, they create a world that you're watching you know, can't be real and yet couldn't feel more caustically realistic. Couldn't feel more a tale of that hard time for a young girl in the 60s in a traditional family, in a traditional life, all that sort of stuff. And yet that's matched against visuals that are obviously not of this. I say not of this world. What I mean is the universe in Bojack Horseman, the world world that it's created they find ways to take you out of that. It's very, like, the floor is never settled below your feet, ever. It gets no easier. It gets a lot worse um, for Beatrice, unfortunately. From those lovely Polaroids of the kind of perfect young in love couple, and the last one is of Beatrice, obviously heavily pregnant in the wedding dress, we get the harsh cut to screaming baby Bojack in his crib at the bottom of the bed, keeping the tired and cranky, now young parents awake in the middle of the night. Um, It's less than idyllic um and i can say living through it it felt quite true to life um (laughs) but a scotch note in the middle of a row about bojack not baby bojack not sleeping that he's getting nowhere with his writing but he's starting to blame the beats themselves which beatrice (laughs) has no which beatrice who has always been more well-read than butterscotch and never wanted to make like she's always wanted to protect his fragile ego is very much running out of patience with that she offers him no sympathy anymore suggesting that oh well if it's their fault it absolutely possibly couldn't be that you're just not a talented writer um she wants him desperately for financial reasons and otherwise to take a cushy corner office job at sugarman west which is obviously we're left to assume is a western uh, state branch of the sugarman empire um but he wants to remain true to his working class roots because he believes it helps his writing so he's going to remain working at a cannery we're going to find out a little bit more about what a cannery is later on um, he idiotically calls that slavery and she rightfully calls him out for having such a crap grasp of language. It's such a fantastic shifting of the power dynamic here. Beatrice would yeah. be a hundred times the writer of her entitled husband and yet is not given a chance by the world to do it. That is evident by one conversation. And as their relationship begins to unravel, it's an early resentment that she carries for him because the the ways are simply not paved for a woman to do it. Her being a mother is the way that it's been paid for her ultimately and finding this husband in there in Butterscotch. Um, All of this, I should point out, is set to Bojack constantly crying, not being nursed, not being taken care of, just the two of them angrily 
sort of like talking their way through why Bojack's crying because they feel like they've run out of ways to fix it. Again, I wish this wasn't as relatable as it was. Um, parenting is really hard. Um, but this is harder than it needs to be. It's super destructive. Uh, Butterscotch ends this particular row with, quote, you wanted that, baby. Don't forget oh. that. This is not just the bitterness of a middle-of-the-night row. This is making a woman feel responsible for not getting an abortion. Um, Beatrice takes a tablet with a drink um, and scowls at baby Bojack. This is a moment where she morphs from the young, optimistic Beatrice into the one that we become a bit more familiar with. She says, down at the crib, you better be worth all this. And it cuts to, several years later, where an older Beatrice says, well, you're not. (laughs) Mid-conversation to six-year-old Bojack, sat in his little sailor outfit, playing Cat's Cradle, um, to the point where he goes, I'm not what? And he doesn't even know because she's been lost in this thought. Um, Butterscotch, obviously, six years have passed. Bojack's now a young boy. Uh, Butterscotch gets in from work. He's still at the cannery. Turns out that he works, obviously, canning fish, which he doesn't like it when they fight back. He's covered in fish. (laughs) He's completely miserable. Um, (laughs) He instantly, instantly walking through the door, begins arguing with Beatrice. There is not even... Any pleasantries, they're just straight into another fight, all happening in full view of Bojack, who at various points in this argument, Beatrice calls simple and filthy midway through one of her rants. Those are word-for-word quotes of what she was saying about him. Um, but Scotch calls Bojack a goddamn baby. I need to point out again that Bojack has done nothing to instigate these comments. He is merely the front row to this hideous argument, to which Bojack replies to the goddamn baby comment that he can't be a baby, he's six, he's forming sentences. That line, Butterscotch takes as an insult to his writing. Um, and the row peaks with Butterscotch angrily agreeing to take the Sugarman job after all. He thinks it's going to ruin his chances of ever having a successful book. But Beatrice <laughs> has lost in- Beatrice has lost complete interest in even holding up the pretense that that's ever going to happen. Um, we'll quickly go to, um, before again, a stopping point of which this episode gives you none. A montage at this point of how their life changes with Butterscotch getting this job. Um, it's not in any meaningful ways. It's just in the improvement of the home and the vast accumulation of some wealth. So you see the home improving. You see in Beatrice, like, ordering various helpers around the house, people installing sofas and pictures and things of that nature. But Bojack's getting gradually older, but he's not receiving any love for the improvement that this is supposed to bring their life. Um, neither of the parents, in fact, appear to care anymore about Bojack. Um, you just see them interacting with some cleaners and none of them, I should point out again, have any faces. Um, and it ends on Beatrice asking Henrietta, again, now seen in the home, still with a scribble out face, to pack a framed picture to take to her son, which is, of course, is a callback to the thing she said to Bojack at the very end of the episode uh, last week. Uh, she's going to see Bojack and we're kind of much, much closer to the present day than we ever have been because we're back with Henrietta. Um, Henrietta's nice about the painting. But Butterscotch walks in and criticises it immediately. Uh, He says that his authoritarian novel is better. So that ended horribly. Uh, And Henrietta is nice about that too. She's nice about the painting. She's been nice about the book. She just wants to bring a little bit of harmony into this house. But then Beatrice chastises her for being nice about that. So both parents have given both barrels. Um, Butterscotch says she should be nicer to Henrietta, which Beatrice insinuates that they're probably having an affair. Um... Beatrice is about to go and visit Bojack and give him this painting. That in itself is a heavy load of a scene. 
So let's take our latest, uh, let's take our latest coffee break there. Um, the married, the hard married life, the raising of a child. This is the closest, this is the most familiar feeling flashback because we've seen this through Bojack's eyes before and it's never been anything but heartbreaking. It's never been anything but miserable, dysfunctional. This was the fullest picture yet we've had of that awful life that Bojack had to lead through his formative years. Yeah, and I think you could maybe say that despite the fact I might not have been I mean, I know we got a few, well, I know we got Beatrice saying, you know, you better be worth it, and then Hale somebody saying, Well, you weren't. Oh, you're not. Um But in terms of actual head on Beatrice to Bojack stuff, that's and I say that's it. You know what I mean? In a, in a usually in a flashback, the whole we get like monologues of negativity towards Bojack. What stands out more though is while there might not be so much verbal, the amount that we are hit by in the specifically, as you mentioned, during the animation where Butterscotch finally accepts the job. Oh, we've seen this horrible, and it, you know, it can happen to anybody, any couple who, especially a married couple, that just have, you know, lives been put on hold and regrets and people feeling like they've been had their own lives held up and all sorts of things. And I just think watching that animation take place and, and understanding how much time is passing as the house is changing, all the stuff around them is changing. And nobody is given anything to Bojack, like nothing, no. not a thing. And while everything's supposed to look like it's happening really quick, I feel like you felt the amount of time that he was being uncared for and he was being yeah. basically ignored for material things or ignored for personal gain or ignored for either of the parents having a shred of happiness that isn't mm. this stupid crying baby who's kept me up and requires love and feeding and looked after. Um, so yeah, well, there may not have been as many variables. I feel like this was a big one in terms of him feeling so like I don't know, so insignificant. Just mm. that house, that house could have changed the way it did without him in it. Put it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, an interesting development as well to see how you can kind of understand this. Everybody's dynamic is just a little bit edgier, isn't it? After the fact that we see Butterscotch gives up his dream, like Beatrice mm -hmm. never was allowed really to have a dream. Let's be honest. So hers has yep. now gone as well. Bojack's chances, while he sits in that little sailor outfit, are more and more looking like they aren't going to have any time for dreams anyway. So yeah, it's, I think that's the end, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> end. right. That's the one. Over we right? go through, right, Michael. <laughs> Through a razor-sharp, jagged cut that I feel at this point is across your neck. Um, a jagged cut mid-row, yet another row between Butterscotch and Beatrice, to uh, Bojack just asking outright why they're not divorced, um, as she's now in Hollywood. She's there at Bojack's house. We can tell straight away through certain visual clues a rough timeline. Bojack's got the, the bushier hair that we've seen him have in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, so we're aware at least that this is much closer to present day, but still quite a long way away from it. The uh, conversation is going to get into that to give us a bit more detail. Anyway, um, she's berating him um, for even sort of suggesting that they uh, get a divorce. Uh she says, quote, do you want your painting? It belonged to your grandfather. Now, there was a man who knew what marriage meant. There is, at this point, a harrowing, horrific flash cut. And I mean, a one-second cut as she talks about Joseph Sugarman and what he thought about marriage to him manhandling the lobotomized honey in a silhouette outside of young Beatrice's bedroom door, which is wide open. That's the choice 
flash memory that she takes of her father, a man who knew what marriage is about. Christ, back to the conversation. Um, Bojack takes the painting anyway, so Beatrice bollocks him for always take, take, taking. Uh, this is a miserable chat. Uh, they talk briefly about horsing around, um, which again, typically, as was always the case with Beatrice, she just shows no respect for Bojack drops in again. Well, it wasn't Ibsen, but dot, dot, dot. Um, we find out at this point that it's been cancelled again, so we can take that this is maybe like late 90s, early 2000s. There are a, a few more clues that are fun to look for in the scene. Um, with uh, Beatrice saying if she had watched it, because they've only depressed her. Uh, and then she says, quote, uh, after all the sacrifices that she made, just so he could do it. Um, I want to stop there for a second, actually, because it struck me that for all that we've always seen Beatrice resent the life that she had, she believes that by having such a miserable life, that's the sacrifice. Uh, like, it never really hit me before now that like what's always just sounded like self-serving, selfish, and frankly, just um, like idiotic discussion of her own parenting was in fact something that she believed she was doing. I believe that Beatrice thinks she made sacrifices, not that she did it every day, not that she sacrificed her time or her love or her affection for Bojack, but that she sacrificed all of it for him to even exist. And it never hit me until this scene that I believe she believes it. And there's an old adage with heels and media bad guys that they've got to believe a little bit in what they're doing. And it was here where it first struck me that I think she believes that to be true. I don't think she's lying to herself to make herself feel better anymore. I believe she believes all of her entire life post 18 to have been a sacrifice. I might even argue on or add to that rather, not argue at all, because you're totally right. I think, but uh, I would also add to that maybe that she kind of chooses that as well, if that makes sense. So, like, this, all these horrible things have indeed happened to her, but rather than go, okay, this happened, let's change this narrative, she's went, this happened, this is the narrative, and I am <laughs> very much, we are sticking with this, and you are going to pay for it for the rest of the days that I'm on this earth by choice that is a choice that yeah. i've made the more she solidifies it the more it's okay to be like, as con as consciously cruel as she is to bojack in adult life yeah like there are plenty of reasons for her us to feel sorry for her but then i feel she chooses and after a certain point has chosen misery and she wakes up every morning and chooses violence michael <laughs> chooses violence well um, we get a bit of violence ourselves. As she talks about the sacrifices she made, again, we get some rapid, super quick flash cuts. And um, this time we see, again, that teddy bear, that doll, something or other, it's now melting uh, in the flames in the background. Then we get a quick look at the lake house. Um, we see Honey on the piano and what appears to be Bojack's birth for a split second, all framed within one of Beatrice's trains of thought. This is not just us watching the episode. This was briefly in her brain, back out again, back into the conversation with Bojack. Um, on we go through the narrative of the episode through another several months later book, um, which is Butterscotch coming into the room and pathetically asking Beatrice to help him out. He needs Beatrice's help to convince Henrietta to have an abortion because she's pregnant with his child. Um, everything that Beatrice had basically predicted about Henrietta being nice to him, about him being complimentary to him as a as a writer, as an artist, all that sort of stuff has played to his ego. Um, and he doesn't know what to do. He just begs her tearfully to fix it. Um, in her role, despite how 
coldly disconnected, we believe it to be from her own life. It's as if she is in that moment required to do it in her role as a woman. Again, like pick up the pieces for a pathetic man. She's got to do this. Um, she takes a long sight and it cuts to uh, her and Henrietta in the kitchen um, with Beatrice sacking Henrietta, but asking more about the child. We find out that the child is a baby horse, a girl, in fact, and Henrietta won't have the money to finish nursing school and raise the baby at the same time. She's in bits. Um, it is very apparent that she knows that Butterscotch is not going to be there for us. So doesn't know what to do. Beatrice agrees to pay for the tuition to get her through nursing school, um, but on the condition, effectively, that Henriette has to give up the baby for adoption. Um, Henriette is obviously hesitant and doesn't quite know what to make of such a big suggestion, I guess, despite the, you know, the, the golden handshake that comes with it. But Beatrice very sternly replies, quote, you think you want this, but not like this. Don't throw away your dreams for this child. Don't let that man poison your life the way he did mine. Again, it kind of goes back to what we're saying about the sacrifices she believes that she has made just to exist at this point. Um, brilliant, brilliant choice here. Henrietta doesn't agree, but gives that mm -hmm, that we've heard several times this season specifically from characters that are agreeing to things they do not want to do. I love that particular use of that. It's, it's a mumble rather than an actual choice of an agreement. Um, I mean... I'm going to stop us again because holy shit does a montage for the ages and the annals of television history begin after this. Let's take a pause there. Big plot, big development, big moments for Beatrice and Henrietta. And yeah, let's talk about it. We're a spoiler-free podcast. Let's talk about the point you start making assumptions about this horse girl. And let's talk about Henrietta and how all of a sudden this is rather unnervingly starting to tie together. Let's talk about the fact that you're you're a coward, Michael. You keep pausing this, telling me you want my you don't want my opinions. You just want to be putting off the inevitable <laughs> of us having to deal with the tortures of this episode, and you keep dragging me back in just <laughs> when I thought I was out. They pull me back in. Every pause in my um, like sort of breakdown of the episode is me pausing because I was breaking down watching the episode. That's it, just reflecting out of stop, yeah. have a cry, and then get back to it. This is the episode breakdown where we just have a breakdown in the <laughs> middle of the episode. Um, but yes, as you've mentioned here, Michael, I mean, let's not dance around it anymore. Um, as you would probably agree with, our listeners aren't idiots. And no. this is a show that rewards listeners and viewers even um, for being attentive, for, for paying attention to the show and we have the suggestion of a child being given up, presumably for adoption, Michael. We have a, that specific child being a little baby horse. We have that little baby horse being a girl. Michael, this is Hollyhock. I mean, I don't think it's unfair for us to say this. Surely now our heads are pointing and going, all right, this is Hollyhock. Because it's a huge reveal. It's a it's massive, massive reveal. It's humongous. Yeah. It's humongous because... And the more you start looking at it, the more you start thinking, how, I, how have I not how have I not seen this? Mm -hmm. But it isn't until this all I remember watching this the first time around, and it isn't until the montage that we will, will get into, of course, where we have this sort of slight reveal, I say the slight reveal, the reveal at the dinner table between uh, Beatrice, the kitchen table between Beatrice and Henrietta, that this has happened. And your brain yeah. starts doing the math. Because of course it does. Because this is the whole crux of everything we've been led to this season. 
which now, Michael, means that this isn't Bojack's daughter, yeah. of course. This is Bojack's sister. That is a game changer. Huge. It's a mammoth reveal that, as you say, is about to get fleshed out in the montage that I'm going to try and get through in one go for not being bursting into tears. Um, it's a mammoth reveal. It's a, it's a moment. And I'll tell you what else this is as well. This is the moment when you realise, because, of course, how we, the viewer, have been able to piece this together is the bits of the story that we've been told along the way, specifically in this season. Though it feels so much longer ago, it was at the start of season four when Bojack was fixing up the house uh, and we were delving deeper into his past um, and delving deeper, of course, into Beatrice's past and Honey's past. Um, everybody's past and they were all awful, uniformly awful to a man, to a horseman. Um, and this is crucial to that because this is that one little chapter of the past that ties all of it together. And we learn at last that the theme of this season wasn't all of the things that were paid off last week, which we talked about. There was a very, there was a jovial full stop put on all the supposed themes of the episode because the theme of this season was family and roots and why they all are, who they are and how they're all related. And that one little thing, that one loose end of how all of these people were related and how they all affected each other's lives was Hollyhock's parentage. That was the one thing that they were still chasing. And now we have arrived upon it through the psyche of a woman suffering like late adult onset dementia. It's quite a remarkable way to tie that lease end up because it couldn't contrast any further with one week later, Woodchuck wins the election. <laughs> one day later, one day later, one week later, Todd takes clowns back into the woods. This is this is what it's all about. Well, this like many of the other things in this show, uh, can probably be traced back to the hole that Bojack talks about, the little hole where any of the goodness has leaked out. And, man, we, at this point, we're thinking that Hollyhock might be his daughter. We were thinking yeah. that that might be a chance for some sort of redemption here because there's a chance to change the narrative here. Now, we find that... that <laughs> So let me try and get this from my brain. Hollyhock obviously comes from Butterscotch, yeah. who is a different lineage to Beatrice, of course. Like the Horsemans and the mm -hmm. Sugarmans mm -hmm. are technically separate at this point. So the question here now, Michael, is is the gene a Sugarman thing? Is it a Horseman thing? Or is, that a just, is it an even more potent toxic chemical mix of the two. I mean, we've seen Bojack, but yep. now we're going to get just the horseman. Do you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. like, Hollyhock is a product of just the horseman, not Horseman Sugarman. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. It, it's Horseman Henrietta, and I can't even remember what our, <laughs> second, whatever our second name is. Like, that's a mixture. That is a hell of a mixture. Mm -hmm. So, we don't we don't know yet. And no. that, for me, was the thing where I went, oh, my God, but what if, like, what do we do now? What does that, <laughs> what does that mean? Because if this reveal isn't big enough already, where does that leave Hollyhock and all of this? Mm. Well, this is this is the thing. Obviously, what's so great now is what we've been. So every flashback we're always led to believe is a Bojack origin story, and then in this one we get a literal one because it's how he's born. But of mm. course, this is a Beatrice origin story because we're living through her trying to reconcile all the memories to bring her back to the present day to that moment in the room at the end of the last episode where she says Bojack. That's what all this we believe is leading towards. In fact, it's just given us Hollyhock's origin story when the characters themselves have been searching for it the whole, the whole season. It's it's magic in how they kind of pull all this together. And the, the thing about an episode 11 is 
other than the fact that it's just hits your hardest, is that it's so close to a finish line. You always know that. You always go in. And yet there's such a, like a, a, the deftest of touches, such a skill in how it kind of obscures the finish line and then reminds you in the harshest of ways that you get into one. And this is another one of those for me. I think we definitely get that in season three with Sarah Lynn's death. It's another way where you're like, well, seasons have to end on a, on something major. Oh, they're on a huge bender. Oh my God, she's dead. Well, yeah, because there's one episode left of this season. It was always going to go that way. Like they hide it. And then when they throw it out there, you were just knocked off your chair. I mean, and brilliantly so. Like only, maybe only this show would think to subvert a character who we are told repeatedly from the beginning of this season, the mind is deteriorating. Like mm-hmm. the mind is is literally deteriorating. Ego, things are not known the way they were known before. The answers to things that you probably need are not going to be there. We've spent an entire season trying to find out the answer to who is Hollyhock's mother. And mm-hmm. the answer, Michael, has been given to us from the mind of the least reliable person in the whole goddamn show at this point, maybe aside from Todd, who would be thinking of something else entirely, I would imagine. Every day when they're in the room together. Henry at the Henry at the Henry at the Henry at the every single day. Every single day she's been telling us Henrietta, Henrietta, Henrietta this, Henrietta that. Every single day she's been in there with what in another world could have been her own daughter, another like a second mm. kid of hers. Madness, madness. And just again, again, Raphael, Bob Waxberg and the gang and the writers and the team, any, everybody together, they will, even if you spent all your time looking, they will hide this stuff in front of your face without you saying it. Yeah, it's like the, the last thing on this, you can tell I'm just trying to put off, getting to where we've got to go to. It's um, okay, you and me both. <laughs> the, I love as well that Bojack, in his attempts to be better for um, Hollyhock, regularly says words to the effect of whenever she does something really nice or is just a, a better person than he ever was. He'll allude to the fact, oh, that must be from your mother, because he, he's self full of self-loathing and he believes that he doesn't know that mother because it's a woman he slept with. He doesn't know how right he is, but it's because he's not the father. Um, Henrietta, again, we are presented, she's made a terrible mistake in sleeping with Butterscotch. But again, in terms of her as a living, breathing, normal person, all we've seen of her in this episode is her being really kind to Beatrice in the car and really kind to Beatrice and Butterscotch in the face of total abuse. So the kindness, as you said about the genetic mix, whatever the, whatever the mix is between those two, the toxins are coming from Bojack's dad. They're not coming Definitely. from they're not coming from her mother. And the one other thing I will say on this as well, just quickly before you do take us further forward for the last bit of the run here, um, she clearly didn't get her mother's cleaning uh, abilities because, <laughs> no, ironically, no. if you recall, obviously she was <laughs> the mother was the maid of the house, yeah. and Hollyhock did not make for a great maid in Bojack's house, if you recall correctly. <laughs> what a fantastic callback that is! Yeah, brilliant. That's such yeah. a great spot. Um, yeah, again, like so lovely sort of lovely clues that are not clues, all that kind of stuff. That's again just to try and like try and pull this back a little bit. I know we fly around a lot in these episodes, but the episodes fly around at us. It's it's all been about pulling a theme together and what you thought was the theme. It it was it was never it was never a, a politician with like, it was never a politician with lobster hands. Like who knew? Exactly. Who knew? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh god. Right, do you have a montage? Fancy a montage? Come on then. 
I need a montage. They always go well, don't they? That's it. That's, that's what South Park told us. Montages, especially animations, go well. Let's give this one a try. Where should we start? Oh, here we go. Beatrice is in a hospital holding Henrietta's hand as she gives birth, while simultaneously looking across a, a ward, remembering her own labour with Bojack. Oh, that's then, It's lovely, that's isn't it? Nice. She then flashes back to her childhood, um, where a doll, her baby, as she calls it, baby, is snatched away. We now get a clear shot of that doll for the first time. It's, it's a doll of a little baby. She's cradling it at night time, and it gets taken away by a mysterious maid's hand. Flashes back to the labour ward. Beatrice is screaming. Bojack's born. Henrietta's screaming. Her baby is born. Back to childhood. Beatrice reclaims her doll, her baby, from a box and is clutching it tight. Back to Beatrice and Butterscotch, cooing over baby Bojack being born in that ward. Back to Beatrice telling Henrietta, you did it, you did it. That moment of euphoria that Henrietta has managed to give birth safely. Back to young Beatrice and all her things being thrown in a fire. She is screaming and crying. But Joseph says, quote, crying is stupid. Explaining that how her sickness, the scarlet fever that came as a result of obviously Bunny's inability to look after her, has infected everything, all of her toys, all of her possessions. Back to Beatrice, telling Henrietta, quote, the hard part is over, while physically blocking her from holding baby Hollyhock. Back to Joseph, quote, it all has to be destroyed for your own good. Back to Beatrice, saying exactly that as Henry begs, Henrietta begs to hold the baby. Um, back to Joseph, snatching Bee's baby doll from her hands and launching it into the fire, into the flames. Finally, those shots of the melting doll appeared off here. Beatrice wails, screams out, no, it's the only thing I can compare this wail, this pained scream is when Honey uh, learns of the death of Crackerjack in a flashback to the episode earlier in the season. Um, she screams no as it cuts across to Henrietta letting out an identical scream as baby Hollyhock is taken away from her. I should point out again, Henrietta's still got the scribbles on her face. This hasn't got any easier to watch, just how upsetting all of this is. Uh, her real-life baby is taken away, uh, simpatico with Beatrice's baby being thrown on the fire. Um, back to Joseph telling uh, childhood Beatrice not to, quote, let her womanly emotions consume her, uh, lest she end up like her mother. Quote, one day this will all be a pleasant memory as Beatrice's baby melts away in the flames. Um, flames fade, revealing present-day Beatrice, suddenly recognising Bojack, of course, after he'd said, see and never. That was what we got as the, the big cliffhanger finale last week. She's remembered that it's him uh, as a kind of, I don't know, the calm after the storm of this wickedly cruel series of events that have all combined and coagulated in a sort of frazzled and scattered psyche. Um, she's instantly rattled and frightened and confused by the surroundings, um, but she doesn't know that it's Bojack. He, uh, he tells her that she's at the lake house. He has this moment where rather than doing everything he's just done, which is make her, which is revel almost in making her feel sad about her surroundings. At the moment when he genuinely believes that she knows where she is, he decides to take her away mentally from the place. He says she's at the lake house in Michigan, that all the family are there and that basically everything's going to be all right. He paints quite a vivid picture for her um, that she says she can see. Um, so Bojack says that they're all listening to her brother play piano while eating vanilla ice cream. And um, of course the ice, the iced cream that she wasn't permitted to have as a child. Um, Bojack says, quote, can you taste the ice cream, mom? 
And uh, Beatrice replies, oh, Bojack, it's so delicious and seen. I mean, we were worried, and I am here, how you possibly insert the right level of gravitas into that, that second and that third Sarah Lynn in episode three. It will live with me, and I'm assuming you, and everybody that's listened to this podcast for a very long time, the moment that that doll, that baby, is thrown into the fire. Um, arguably even more than Beatrice taking away Henrietta's hollyhock, maybe. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. Um, it's certainly what steeled her into being able to doing that as an adult. We've learned it's, it's a lot like what we've seen from Beatrice in the past. The more you learn about why she does the things she does, the more you don't understand it, but you have to accept it, I guess. You have to accept that she is a product of the world that made her, and Bojack has gradually become a product of the world that's made him, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it's one of the most striking, heartbreaking scenes I've ever seen in television. Um, we've said this before about certain moments in the show, but it always warrants them. It's animation, and it doesn't feel animated, even though we're dealing with talking horses. It's as real as it gets. It's abuse framed as strict parenting, which again, I think deals brilliantly with that point you made about the unreliable narrator or the way that women are forced into choices they don't even want. Mm. She would just blow those choices off as choices, as if women held any, as if in this case, childhood Beatrice held any power over that situation in the first place. She didn't. Um, it's lives upon lives upon lives being destroyed by the critically important and grossly misguided actions of a few it's the worst of humanity and they're not even humans of a few men my god <laughs> all men all horsemen always men i don't remember one of them being a woman who started any of this um, no so that's ourselves here for the week uh, complete um <laughs> yeah man this is this is quite something i mean we there's a reason we tell you all, and we decided early on we were going to give warnings for whenever we do review these seasons, uh, specifically about the episodes 11, because they are always the heaviest hitting ones. And I imagine, certainly from the cherry-picked responses I've seen from a lot of our listeners uh, in previous, I'm sure this one hit home as, and hard as well as much as quite a lot of the other ones did. I yeah. just want you to just take a moment to think about that for a second, because we always talk about how this show is... It's an it's a animated show. It's a cartoon about uh, anthropomorphic uh, animal people who are like, who we still find some of the most serious moments of television and most relatable and most honest moments and gripping moments of television. Mm-hmm. And they do that with all of this as animated animals talking. They made you care and feel more pain, misery, heartache, everything about a toy horse baby inside a flashback inside a show about an animated horse that melted on a fireplace they made you feel that with yeah. a baby doll in a flashback it's incredible it's absolutely unbelievable what they have achieved here um it it's not fun for anybody i don't think that's the word you would use to describe it but genuinely the first time i watched this one was like we said it about a stupid piece of shit in the past where it was probably the, one of the best portrayals of mental health 
mm-hmm. just the day-to-day mental health that people yeah. like a great portrayal of that and how and how it affects everyone literally everyone mm-hmm. i have always known about dementia but i feel like this was one of the most clued in and most like all right okay this is a little bit more eye-opening a little bit more sort of helping me put the jigsaw pieces together if you will ironically mm-hmm. about what is actually going on and obviously I, I can't you know claim to say that this is a literal diagram of what it's, but i tell you what man it's a goddamn good portrayal and it's a one mm-hmm. that i feel really really helps it certainly helped me to understand a lot better yeah the way that the memory works and the way that how cruel it can be to the person who's trapped within their own head and and opening your eyes up a little bit more to it must be frustrating if you are the person who's the partner or the relatives and you are repeating yourself time and time again and but seeing this it, it really does give you a line for some empathy there like a big old batch of it um and i just i want to highlight a really important part I, I, I felt from that last little run obviously we get the amazing uh, montage as you mentioned amazing and as i put it brilliant and beautiful uh, and mm. brutal sorry i should point out um the sort of side by side pregnancies and the way they do it is is brilliant from the storytelling perspective faster and faster these montages gets and the crossover yeah. becomes more and more and closer and closer and closer imagine if you will like um like a coin you know when you spin a coin mm. and it's spinning around to start with and it starts to do that thing where it's it's about to go flat and it goes like and the last bits when it's flat are getting faster and faster until the coin is just flat as one that's how i felt watching this it felt like i've spun the coin or watching it go around and now it's running out of of velocity and it's about to drop and become one flat thing again and the way they do this with the two two pregnancies going side by side and then they basically even if you weren't somebody who who i would imagine all of our listeners and the viewers of this show are who can really you know break this stuff down they take the scribbles of henrietta's face right at the end there and they like use them as a transitional shot but to like show you the margin of the scribbles on her face and the way that that blends with um beatrice and her baby doll so you've got the baby and the baby doll and it's basically showing you these two memories merging together yeah that's right yeah one brand new one in her head which is goes from being two narratives to being one narrative and that's suddenly mm. this huge explanation as to why i know we you've picked up on it by this point if you've been watching the episode but i just thought it was so impactful how they were like this is what her narrative is now her narrative is this it's it's one thing but it's this one that's made up of god knows what and she's mm-hmm. just x is substituted for y across the board yeah and various different things it's amazing and i can't say enough about when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I really can't. And the amount of sort of evil look and disastrously intense feeling imagery they use like the color mm. schemes in particular the flashes of red and like inverted negative images and stuff that they use throughout this it's just amazing genuinely amazing and we could sit here and talk for hours as i'm sure we, well, we've already talked for an hour at least um i like I, I worry i guess that like we go when these the big episodes happen it's hard not to go into the personal because in a way how affected you were by it feels part of the analysis, I guess. Or maybe it doesn't, so I don't know. Maybe we're just using this as free therapy in these difficult times. But, like, I struggled a great deal with large parts of this episode because I'm soft-centred when it comes to seeing children struggling in any form of media. I can't... I'm not very good with it anymore um, since having children of my own. Um, I've become every bit of that clichéd parent that relates too much to imagining his own children in that situation. And yet, it wasn't just that in this one it was the way in which they captured so vividly, like Beatrice's miserable life, her end-to-end miserable life, and how ultimately the misery spoke loudest in her subconscious to her in her, you know, in her later years, as she is when Bojack wheels her into that care home. Um, It's those memories that linger loudest in her mind that she can, even as you say, they're getting warped, they're getting met like, you know, all forced together into this mess. And yet it's those that linger loudest. It makes you want to be a better parent because you watch this and you, like parents, I read a great thing recently that where it said 100% of parents are underqualified for their job. And Mm -hmm. it makes makes you feel better as a parent, just trying to get through the day. Um, and it just landed that like it made me want to be better tomorrow with my kids. It made me want to do something in the day that made that day stand a better chance of being a happy one. Should their minds ever go like this? Should they ever need to dig into their memories? I want them to be the good ones they find before any of the bad ones. I don't want them to think of that time I had to bollock them because they spilled something all over the carpet or whatever it might be. I want them to think of, I want to put something in their day that makes it makes the noise of a good memory louder than something that they didn't like, even if they played enough Nintendo Switch and it needed turning off because it was bedtime. <laughs> it, it, I cannot tell you how profoundly it made me, like literally the next day, want to make the good things louder and more voluminous and more colourful in their days. And I know to some people that are listening, better parents than I, that should be saying, well, you know that's part of your job, don't you? But it's amazing how many parts there is to this job and it's amazingly which bits you forget and it's 
funny, I guess, the things that remind you. And that was what this, uh, this was hard to get through and hard to watch for a number of different reasons. But it's, it's a go and hug your kids moment after you've finished watching. Like I was taking some of these notes in the middle of the day and had to go and just be with them and be good for them, like in the middle of it, because it was just, I, I didn't need to see so much of those babies and those children that were born in this world where the people weren't good enough for them. So what you're saying is, is if I ever one day when the world comes back to normal and I can visit your house, that I won't see a melted Nintendo Switch on the <laughs> fireplace. Is that what you're promising me? <laughs> I mean, how can I uh, how can I put this into words in the way that I would say? I would probably say something like, "You think you want this, Nicholas, but not this. Don't throw away your dreams this time. <laughs> Don't let that man or woman poison your life the way that that man or woman did mine." Oh no, I'm gonna ask somebody else said that. I'll do. Ah. Yeah. I, I tell you what's amazing about this that we don't even to this point know any more about uh, we're obviously talking about Beatrice here and how bad of a time she's had and it really is like as much as I still stand by the fact that yes terrible things have happened to her but we, we have to go back every time to that Todd quote where he says you can't just do bad things because bad things happen to you that's not how it works and that's got to be a turning point, and I did mention earlier in this very podcast that you know there is still a point where we talked about the sacrifices Beatrice has made, and there's still a point I feel where she chooses the choice is hers whether she can turn the whether she can change her ways or continue and just use her life as an excuse. And I feel like she chooses the the negative path, shall we say? Mm-hmm. I can understand it, but she still chooses it in the end, yeah. as in our older days and. Much as the struggle that we see with our son as we throughout this show, we're constantly trying to figure out that path. Spare a thought for Henrietta here, though, Michael, because mm-hmm. in Beatrice seeing an opportunity to course correct what she considers to be a mistake, which we consider to be the very reason we do this podcast, go <laughs> <laughs> Jack Horseman, of course, she is making a life changing decision for Henrietta here, like mm-hmm. a life changing one. Which she will claim is, you know, for the for the betterment, for the good. Studies, studies. I thought that was really important because she used to read. She used to be allowed yep. to care. She wanted that. She like, wanted that to go and well, she wanted that to go and do all the things the woman couldn't do. Like yeah. back in her day, and now there's a chance for this woman to go and do those. And that totally support that and understand that and get that entirely. There's an argument to be made here, though, that the trauma. The trauma is the thing that has followed all of these characters around this long. Trauma, trauma, trauma. It is from the very top. The trauma of a lobotomy on Honey Sugarman all the way down to where we are now. And that's a trauma that's been inflicted on Henrietta, whether she wants it or not. Whether it may indeed benefit her life. Whether Henrietta Michael went on to live and become a a hugely successful writer or whatever, we don't Mm -hmm. know. And all of our studies that she went off to do, like at this point, we don't know any of that. All we know is that she had to watch as her own child got taken away from her, and it didn't get thrown in a fireplace. But it might as well have, for all she knows, because yeah. she's never going to see it again. Like, so that, that, my question to you, Michael, is: uh, Has she helped Henrietta? Has she made things worse oh. for her? My, because my I, you, I don't know. I don't know. My question to you, Adam, at this is: Have you got any like jokes or little hidden references <laughs> and stuff? Because I've done it. <laughs> Oh, you want the jokes now, do you? Got, you got any gags? You got, you got, you got any wordplay? You got any wordplay or something? Out. Like, you spend the whole podcast trying to get me to interrupt your cowardice. 
to try and help you out here. And now you want my jokes. Well, you can't have them, right? You're not oh, getting this. Michael, there, was a, there was a crocodile in a suit and he said, make it snappy. I just sum it. Some Bojack <laughs> bullshit just to get us through this. <laughs> oh, my friend, my friend. No, unfortunately, there are no horse rounds this week. <laughs> Uh, you are just left to sit in silence for at least a good 30 minutes and then reflect on what has <laughs> happened this week. Oh, my goodness. No, we do have time, of course. This is the part of the show where we allegedly go back and find all of the hidden meanings behind things in this episode, the little small details that you might have missed or the Easter eggs within the episode. So you can then take all that information and go and pass it off to someone else as your own, which I am more than happy for you to do, I should point out, because God knows I want to see the back of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, I hope I can provide you with something. Let's put it that way. I have a feeling it's not going to go well for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to the very beginning of this episode. We are in Bojack's car. Remember that? Remember being in Bojack's car? That was nice, wasn't it? Fresh air. Fresh air. Fresh air. The fresh air. And also, brilliantly, I've just written down here, you mentioned it in your review, but uh, the brilliant gag, of course. Son, you're a ball of gas, but you're also (laughs) a star. (laughs) What a great little gag this is as she stares up at the sun. The movement of the camera <laughs> pan and show you the sun as well after Bojack has a look on his face as if to say, like, who, me? <laughs> <laughs> really, really well done. Of course, we also get in the car a quote from direct out of the old Sugarman Plays episode, season four, episode two. Time's arrow neither stands still nor reverses. After all, it merely marches forward, which was, of course, the words, the immortal words of Joseph Sugarman as he stopped Cracker Jack and Honey Sugarman playing the piano with glee and joy, Michael, before mm-hmm. anybody got any sort of lobotomy in general. Um, I've also just written here the first instance that we get to see the black squiggles on Henrietta's face and just yeah. such an effective an effective tool for the storytelling mm-hmm. here because the way that they're continually moving these black squiggles on her face, like yeah. someone... Like someone is on her face with a pen throughout the whole episode, mm. just doodling over her face, rewriting, some might say, time and time again. Very throughout. Very oppre- yeah, a very oppressive. That's a good point, yeah. That kind of like that forced like yeah. Someone's just forcefully making a bit the dint over her face even more mm. so you can't see what's going on. Anyway, opening credits. We get a little change here because, of course, as we know, everything has changed in Bojack's house. There is no more Hollyhock and there's no more Beatrice, which is reflected in the opening credits. Uh, as you'll see, there's nobody in the house. There are still some of, like quite a lot of Beatrice's things that we've seen previously are still there. But as you recall, Hollyhock had a bunch of photographs on the window of all of her dads. They have now been pulled off the window and wow. just leave the little bits of blue tack where they were stuck onto the wall are still mm. on the window. Um, not a nice sight. And of course, the kitchen is now empty. No Beatrice giving the, the spiked coffee to uh, to Hollyhock either. So, yeah, it's all good in Bojack's house. Um, (laughs) We move across, though, to the first bit of the timeline where we go to Beatrice's bedroom, a young Beatrice. As you you mentioned, we get a running joke throughout this. The first book we see is the the next morning book that Beatrice is reading after being pushed off that um, slide by uh, the the goose woman. I can't remember her name. Clementia, I want to say, maybe. Um, But uh, interestingly, if you look around the room, there's a few things here that I find worth noting perhaps uh one of them is there's a little bear 
not the baby doll that she has, but there's a little bear in a set of dungarees, Michael, um, in the bedroom. And I just wondered if maybe that was a little wink and a nod to the to Tina the Care Bear, of course, ah, who yes. looks after Beatrice as an elder woman. Um, mm. And maybe just with the dungarees on and the bear, I just felt like it felt like a little in her head, maybe a nice little miniaturising of that as the narratives continue to be crossed. Or it might just be a bear in dungarees. Who knows? Either way, it's <laughs> quite nice. There is also, quite strangely, um, now, read into this what you want. I will give you my take on it. There's a, one in her bedroom against the wall behind her door. There's like a little horse's head on a stick. You know, like when you're a kid and you ride the horse, like you put the stick between your legs and you can gallop yeah. around the living room pretending you're riding a horse. Well, ironically, she owns one of those, which there's something funny in there in itself. <laughs> a horse girl owns this as a toy, I think. But also, I felt like for a show that has often referenced um, quote-unquote high art television and high art cinema, this is this the horse's head in The Godfather in the bed? Like, is this, <laughs> oh, very good. This the, he has a message, guys. There's a, something bad's coming your way. He has a horse's head in the bedroom at the start of the episode and basically saying, bad things are coming your way, everybody. I do like that. That's good. Which would also tie in, I guess, with the warning. There's a little warning on the dumpster that we see at the end of the last episode, isn't there? It literally says warning, and then I guess we get yes. this. I feel like it's another red flag, if you will, mm. which uh, we could probably do with less <laughs> of those red flags in this episode. Of course, a brilliant quote, which you mentioned yourself um, from this little segment. Uh, Reading does nothing for young women, but build their brains, taking valuable resources away from their breasts and hips which in 2021 we oh. know to be true. Uh, sorry, we know. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? I got you hooked in, which of course is ridiculous. But those were the times they will tell you in 1963. More on that in just a second. In Beatrice's room, however, there are also a bunch of paintings. Now, we've got some interesting stuff about these paintings, haven't we? Some of which I found, some of which you found, I believe. Um but in Beatrice's room, I'll just run down what you can see. Uh, there's a little picture on her wall to the right-hand side in the far right corner uh, of what looks to be a horse person staring out at three graves. There's also another two images together, um, sort of like oval-shaped images. One is an image of her mother, uh, Honey Sugarman, like a portrait of her that's been painted in a sort of artistic style. And then there's another one which looks to us to be the barn from uh, Michigan next to their yes. house where Bojack and Eddie the fly go and steal the weather vane back from to put on the house and finish off the old showroom place that's what it looks like at least to us um, mm. and also there's another picture of a horse and what looks to be like a yellow dog cow person <laughs> it's hard to tell it's a bit of, it's, it's a bit it's quite loose the painting um, mm. but they're all like running into the middle now Interestingly, I would say the one with the three graves, we are putting the pieces together. We think that's a nod back to season one, episode 11, down at ending. When Bojack has his, um, he's going on the drug bender, there's a moment during his hallucinations where he ends up in a graveyard. The bells toll, he drops a set of flowers that he has in his hand, and the three graves that are in front of him are Butterscotch Horseman, Beatrice Horseman, and his own grave and that just feels too important for that not to be mm -hmm. a, a nod to that right. but in terms of the other airplanes our very own michael hamflet or should i call him detective ham <laughs> <laughs> 
pulled a nice little quote from an interview with um, the, the guys from uh, Bojack Horseman. Uh, Lisa Hanawalt, Raphael, Bob Waxberg, and a couple of others. Um, and I just want to go and find the actual uh, website that it is, that the article's from. Is it Slate? Slate.com. Yeah. Done a piece. The piece is called A Deep Dive into Bojack Horseman's Heartbreaking Dementia Episode, which is, of course, this episode. I'll give a shout out to Jen Cheney, the writer of that article. Do go and check that out if you can find it. That's what you're looking for. Um, but just a little excerpt uh, that you pulled from this, which I thought was relevant here, about some background on the pains. Um, in terms of this coming from Lisa Hannibal, she says, also in Beatrice's childhood bedroom, there are some paintings on the wall that are based on a children's book from the 1940s that is about a horse. Um, and then she goes back to tell us later on that the, that the book itself is called The Horse Who Lived Upstairs. And it's a children's book from 1944. Now, oh, yeah. I guess technically that means it fits as well in the actual timeline of yeah. <laughs> 1963. So that is very, um, very much like believable in terms of them keeping it within context. But an amazing set of pictures. If you look at them, they are really well done. And for anybody who's ever seen any of Lisa Hanawalt's art as well, Multiple times I've seen her draw in the similar style of this, particularly the picture of the horse, topless horse with a pair of jeans on. That's very much a Lisa Hannibal thing that she's obviously taken inspiration from this book. Michael, you had a little bit more there. We'll put the link to this article on in the show notes for this episode because it's a conversation that like focuses more on Times Arrow specifically yes. and all the writers and creators' um, experiences with dementia and how they wove it into the show. It's a... Uh, it's a worthwhile sort of accompaniment, I guess, to this episode and indeed Times Arrow, the episode of Bojack Horseman as well. That'll be in the link at the bottom if you go looking in this wherever you get your podcast. Yes, absolutely. We haven't had a chance to read it fully there, but in, in going through the bits that we did snipe from, it's just, it looks like exactly what I want to read because there's some amazing little bits in there of how the parallels from their real lives have literally been drawn on mm. and almost word for word put into this episode. But I won't spoil it for you. Go and find it. Slate.com. Michael's going to put the link in with the description later on. So blame him if it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> we go across to... No, we don't go across anywhere. We have Beatrice again in her room, but she's actually grown up. This is when um, she's gotten a bit older. The time has changed. Uh, and as she's busy getting ready for her debutante ball, as you mentioned, and we get some contextual references. So I can probably hone in a little bit more for you here, Michael, if you want an exact timeline for where we are. Um, because Beatrice mentions uh, the shooting of Medga Evers uh, during uh, the conversation she's having with her father about uh, yeah. about, about the times, I guess. Um, yeah. And she basically she mentions Medga Evers, who was shot um, on the 12th of June 1963, Mega Evers, the civil rights activist. Um, and interestingly, she mentions how that's the shooting itself has taken place this week. So based on the timeline, I've done a bit of digging. June 12th, 1963 was indeed a Wednesday, Michael. And to call it this week, I guess technically the time period we must be in is June 1963, anywhere between Sunday the 9th of June and Saturday the 15th of June. So somewhere within that time period, this mm -hmm. is taking place. And you can even probably say it's after the Wednesday because obviously Megravis was shot on the Wednesday. So there you go. That's mm -hmm. just a bit more. But also, brilliantly, drawing from this, of course, um, Beatrice mentions how Evers' death means no one else will be assassinated this year, 1963. The FBI is on too high alert to allow anything <laughs> like that to happen again, which was, of course, the year the JFK was indeed shot and assassinated in Dallas, Texas. This showman, even in the middle of all this heartache, can still find a way to just just find um, 
humour. Have I imagined this as well? Or does Joseph, like, is there a metagag where he goes, mm, probably, like that, like he says, it's, is it the, like there's a, there's a knowing wink to us? It, that, it's, uh, it's almost like Joseph is, um, like, he, like we described already, the males kind of going, no, that's not true. It's almost like he hears the narrative coming to the point where the audience are going to realise that they're lying. Yeah. He goes, no, like as if imagine they were doing <laughs> as if they were doing a play for us. And they kind of goes, yes. no, let's stop trying to improv and let's go back to the script. It's really, really well done. This brilliantly done. Um, and I also find it interesting, Michael, that we are in the year 1963. I don't think it's a coincidence. And how was President Kennedy assassinated? He was shot where? In the head. What does Honey Sugarman have done to her head? A lobotomy straight through her head. I don't believe that's a coincidence at all for me personally. But hey. What do I know? I'm just a guy who likes horses. Anyway, <laughs> we go off to the debutante ball next, uh, where we meet Corbin Creamerman, Michael, who you're probably thinking this is a brand new guy, right? Corbin Creamerman, first time we're seeing him. Good stuff. But if you were paying attention, this is not the first time we have heard of Corbin Creamerman because he is first mentioned in Season 4, Episode 9, The Judge, of course, Bojack on Felicity Huffman's Booty Academy. Uh, <laughs> but Beatrice actually... Um, Asks Bojack when he Bojack brings back the letter, I believe, for Hollyhock. It's like a little bit of post that she's got. Uh, Beatrice basically says, asks if there's anything for her. She says she's, and then she says she's expecting a visit from Corbin Creamerman, which is obviously ah. just there is a little piece yeah. uh, for us to, to chew on. And a little spoiler go on, then I'll give you this from that article is that is one of the many things that actually had to actually had to be written into after Raphael had had finished doing episode 11 because they wanted to plant a few more clues nice. throughout the season good. so while he is a genius he does also still have to go back and do some course correcting mm. because i mean come on who really cares it's that good um yeah. but also i've written down here which i think i mentioned earlier just the no faces on everybody in this debutante ball and the muffled music man is just such a haunting haunting sight it really mm. is we go back to beatrice's bedroom though and you wanted a bit of a laugh, Michael, so maybe I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Because uh, Joseph Sugarman is talking about the potential for um, uh, uh, bringing together a union of the two clans, the Sugarman clans and the Creamerman clan, because together mm. they can come up with all this brand that would be Sugarman and Creamerman, and they put it together in an advert. That'd be fun jingles he's already got in his head. And, of course, he comes out with a demo jingle, doesn't he? What he's mm. just... Now... The fun thing about this is whenever I write these jingles down, I never remember what the actual jingle noise is. Like, <laughs> the I have it written down, but I don't know what the tune is. So I'm going to have to wing this. <laughs> That's right. He basically is standing on the spot and he says, you can already imagine the fun jingle. Have your morning coffee or tea with sugar and cream and but save some for these fellas. <laughs> 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 Which, again, I feel like down the line just shows you how bad this entire family heritage is in terms of not being able to deliver gags and punchlines very well. Um, because clearly that was begging out for a me and we get these fellas. That's the what are you doing here, isn't it? That's yeah. uh, like that failure. To... Oh, it's funny you mention that, Michael. Well, more on that in just a second. Mm. Uh, but we go to the bar at the debutante ball now, uh, where we first, of course, meet Butterscotch Horseman. But while he is talking to Beatrice uh, at the bar... You will notice in the background, there is a little painting. I say a little painting. You kind of get the bottom half of a painting, what looks like a bunch of dancers. Uh, and for anybody who is an eagle-eyed art viewer, Michael, 
you may have recognized this as a real life painting. This is, in fact, uh, we, we get this a lot on this show mm. where they put in actual paintings from real life artists, uh, works that the, the writers and the creators obviously enjoy. This is a picture called Dancers in a Studio by Edgar, and I'm going to butcher this, it's like Degas, so it's spelt the same as Vegas, so it could be Degas or Degas, um, okay. and it's that's the painting, so there you go. Um, and it just feels like there's something very specific about how free the dancers would be compared to mm. how very not free Beatrice Hawthorne is <laughs> at this point, as she's been forced to do her father's bidding, essentially. Um, another little wink, perhaps, this one. I know, obviously, this is more of a general horse thing, but Butterscotch eating an apple as he's waiting to meet um, or as he first meets Beatrice, should I say. Is that a little wink and a nod to Bojack's love of apple fritters, perhaps? Um, oh, yes, possibly. Like I feel like that might be something in that. Or maybe the original Sin thing from the garden. I don't know. Mm. Because of how much Butterscotch takes Beatrice away from her path of being daddy's little girl, yeah. I guess. Um, but brilliantly, of course, Butterscotch is mentioning all the excitement about California, Michael. He's mentioning he wants to go out there for the beats. He wants to go out there for Ginsburg, Alan Ginsburg. He wants to go out there for Cassidy, Neil Cassidy. And he wants to go out there for Squirreling Getty, <laughs> <laughs> who is the most forced animal pun ever over the name of actual beat poet, Lawrence Furlingetti. <laughs> <laughs> so you tell me how close Squirreling Getty is. I don't really think it is. But it doesn't matter because it gives us a brilliant pop up because Beatrice says that she likes the other guys. But if you ask me, that squirrel and Getty is nuts. Very good. Very good. <laughs> it's all too easy for the guys with the pens. We go back to the debutante ball <laughs> in the main hall this time. And I just thought the dressage show jump and stuff was amazing. Like the the Be uh, Beatrice having to do all those leaps over the different bits of Bob <laughs> while the MC is like whispering, narrating over the top of it in the most strange, seductive way. It's brilliant. It's really well done this. And made even creepier by the fact he just hasn't got a face. And you can see <laughs> yeah. it's it's really unnerving, but it's great all the same. Now then, another one for you. Because of the way that Beatrice's mind works in this episode, we see a lot of the times where little um, details will change here, there and everywhere. As Butterscotch gets bored of watching her do this, he leaves the, the debutante ball and he goes out the exit. But when we see the sign for exit, it's the letters have been mumbled up, uh, muddled up rather, and it's spelled X-I-T-E. Now, that might just be just a random muddling of the letters, but I wonder if it's supposed to be an abbreviation for Excite and the fact that as he's leaving... The road to excitement is following Butterscotch Horseman, the thing that ah, yes, excites away from the life that she's like been I have a feeling that might be it. I mm. could just be reading into things. But hey, what do I know? I, like I just that. like horses, Michael. <laughs> we go to the outside of the debutante ball, which we now learn is in the Grand Hotel, which is the name of the place. And as we come out the door, Beatrice walks out and the letters once again and they jumble up. Again, just to show you how sort of lost their mind is. Not into anything notable, Michael. This one just says, Gurnard Hetol. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as we finally get in the Butterscotch's car, we drive away, they disappear. You mentioned they have that lovely moment at the roadside where they make sweets with love, Michael, in the car. Mm -hmm. um, in a very picturesque, very typically bit of typical bit of Americana, that wasn't it? The um, convertible car and the, the moonlight yeah. pull on the road, the side of the road. You might have noticed, though, that Butterscotch has a reg on his car, as are most of the registrations in this one, and this is a good one. It's G1D3YUP, which will spell giddy up 
for anybody <laughs> watching, <laughs> which feels particularly important given the scene. Uh, we equip Beatrice's bedroom just for a quick one. As you mentioned, the books, we get the second of the book gags, the two weeks later book that is written, uh, which we'll get more on in just a minute. A rule of three here, but also an interesting one to uh, follow up on later on. We go to the park, though, as Beatrice and uh, Corbin are walking through and trying to get to know each other. You mentioned it again, the faces aren't on anybody in the park, but there's a couple having a picnic, brilliantly. An ant woman and a bear man who are just having a picnic. She's drinking what looks like a coffee and seems to be doing all right. The man who's the bear who's trying to eat his baguette, though, Michael, not so much. Because he hasn't got a mouth or a face, so he doesn't know where <laughs> to put the baguette and spends ages trying to put it anywhere, but just can't figure out how to do it. So a meta gag within a meta gag. I was going to say, is that the only use of the face within it's the episode? real reference yeah. that you get to see. Because, of course, the ant woman's having no problem drinking a coffee mm. whatsoever, but he's trying <laughs> to put it in his face. I just thought it was brilliantly well done. Um I won't go into any more further detail than the sick gag and the screaming goat gag of Corbin. Corbin, Corbin Creamerman, brilliant stuff. This when Beatrice is sick all over him and he screams like in horror after being covered <laughs> in sick. Two huge big pops, but ultimately result in a pigeon couple who can be seen in the foreground who has a sm- playing frisbee. I think they get so freaked out by this that they just fly away, out, like <laughs> as pigeons would scatter if you made too much noise. We go across to Butterscotch's apartment now on the outside of it when uh, Beatrice finally tracks him down. <laughs> just laughing at the budgie man who's outside who whistles nice gams <laughs> and continues to say nice gams with a payoff in just a second uh, because when Butterscotch comes down to meet Beatrice of course he says Beatrice what are you doing here and then says well, of course which is a play on the what are you doing here which we've heard many many times before only to find out that Beatrice tells him well I tried to call you but the number you gave me was to a pizza parlour in Brownsburg, she says, which, of course, is another little nod and a wink to Bojack, who throughout the season has been telling everybody, uh, giving everybody a number, which we keep hearing is the number for a sandwich shop in Temecula. Which... Actually, now I think about that, every single time Bojack's done that gag, that number for a pizza plate, a sandwich shop, was it, did you say? In, yeah, in Temecula, yeah, yeah, sandwich shop in Temecula, yeah. It's been to one of the people that they've, that himself and Hollyhock have believed might be her mother. It's always to uh, the, yeah. ex, the ex-partners, the potential parents. It's mm-hmm. these women that may or may not have been impregnated <laughs> with that demon horseman seed that we've <laughs> talked about earlier in the episode. It's always those women. It was there from the very beginning. It's just it's just something that's going to hang over anybody who's associated with this, with these <laughs> men, the men in this family, I think, in general. Yeah. Just bad eggs, bad eggs across the board. Anyway, we um we also again I mentioned the budgie. Obviously, this whole time, because Beatrice says something to him like, "Well, can you not come up with anything more intelligent to say?" And he goes like, "Nice games." Like, try you can't, <laughs> you can't come up with anything else. But then, as soon as Butterscotch says to him, hey, "Do you mind, man? We're trying to have a private conversation." He goes like, "Yeah, sure, Butterscotch, no problem." And just walks off. Totally <laughs> which I just thought was great, but also another bit of disrespect towards the women, Michael. Mm-hmm. Of course it was. It's 1963, of course it was. Um, as you mentioned, there's a moment where we go from that scene and the you know the, the dream of, oh, let's just get married, let's have a kid, and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. We get that lovely slideshow that we go through, which I wish was the end of this episode. Um, 
as that slideshow plays, you get the song playing in the background, which is Love Really Happened to Me by Bob Kelly. Uh, you'll notice it's like when I had the blues and now I don't have the blues because I met you, all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot in there if you want to find the lyrics to that as well. But the photos I'll just run through. You get to see we get the first one, which is them packing up the car and getting ready to leave together. Then in something that just does not fit whatsoever, we find them at the sign in California. They've just like they've arrived in California. The sign says, now entering California, hippies welcome, gays, not yet. <laughs> and then, not yet. But, but then in the image, it's the two of them stood by the sign, and Beatrice is like massively pregnant, <laughs> which is literally like, I mean, how long could it be, really? So I, I, I wouldn't know the, how long it would take to, to drive there, I guess. But it can't <laughs> take nine months, Michael. I'm, no. very, I'm fairly confident on that, that it can't take nine months. <laughs> It's just, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, someone might have to correct me if maybe horses give birth. <laughs> yes, is there a horse thing we don't know? I don't know, but it's fast, put it that way. Um, and it just feels like a, almost a piss take on the traditional um, slideshow um, gag that you've got there. We get them, though, they've just, they've getting, from that point, they're getting married at a church. Uh, but then brilliantly, as they are getting married, obviously Beatrice is pregnant again, so they're like, kind of kissing over the top of her big baby bump. But in the background, there's a stained, stained glass window, as you would see in most churches. And Jesus is a fish. <laughs> <laughs> a fish in robes, you see. So there you go. Uh, feeding yes. the 5,000 or something, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, also, finally, the last picture on there is another just married one where they've kind of just literally been married. They've come out of the church and they're standing next to the, or in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, which is in the background of that image. We then go from there to what I'm calling there the Horseman household, I think we'll call it, okay. which is the modern era. Bojack has cried us into this new era. Um, and things aren't great, Michael, as we mentioned. <laughs> Not, it's like five to three in the morning. Everybody's having the worst time ever. Um, but then we get from there, we sort of jump into uh, a flash forward. It must be about like six, five or six years, something like that. And we see Bojack is in his little sailor's outfit. Um, and on the wall behind them, uh, in that living room setting, we see Beatrice talking to Bojack. On the wall behind them is a picture of a horse clown on the wall who's like taken off the mask. So the clown mask to reveal a very sad looking horse, uh, which is basically the whole show, <laughs> I think, wrapped up in <laughs> image. I have to say, though, I didn't wasn't able to get any more word on whether or not that clown was, in fact, a dentist as well. But if we do find out, I will let you know, because, of course, there are plenty of clown dentists kicking around in this show. That may be one of them. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> but, uh, also, brilliantly, I thought, just like in terms of a visual effect, when Butterscotch comes into the room and slams the door after coming in from work, mm. the wallpaper has this really weird vibrating thing. And it's not the wall moving, it's like the wallpaper in Beatrice's mind, which I just thought was a really nice little use of the animation to kind of yeah. add trippiness of the whole thing. Um, this one is just purely me laughing out loud to something myself. I kind of hope this is true. Um, when, when Butterscotch comes in, he's been working in a fish cannon factory all day, yes, I think we can agree, where yeah. he mentions um, that those fish do not like being canned, is what he says uh, as he comes in. Interesting attire for him when he comes in, and he's talking about this. He's got a red hat on, reminiscent mm -hmm. to the kind of beanie hat that you'd see on a sailor. He's got a light blue shirt on, and he's wearing some yellow marigold gloves. Now, for anybody who's ever seen the film The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, this is very similar to the uniform that they wear on that, the red hat, the bright, bright. blue okay. shirt. And what do they do? They spend all their time underwater, Michael, hunting fish and, like, 
big sea creatures and stuff. Sea, I just yes. feel like someone who got the chance to animate this or someone who got the chance to decide what his clothes were going to look like went <laughs> red hat, um, blue top, and the yellow from the trainers that they have in that in that film. I feel like they've put that colour scheme together quite deliberately. I could be wrong, but have a look. Let me know like that. that. Podcast horseman. Um, Beatrice, though, is talking to Butterscotch. But I just thought these names are so typical of a workplace like that as well, by the way. As a man <laughs> him, who used to himself work in a factory, she mentions how, oh, you're just going to come in now from work and basically spend all this time talking about your co-workers, Eight-Finger Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Eight-Finger Joe and sports team Steve, she mentions. <laughs> but as she mentions Eight-Finger Joe, you can see Bojack looking at his hands, like rather horrifically, like counting his fingers to see what, Eight finger Joe, that's not how many fingers <laughs> Joe's supposed to have. <laughs> Brilliant bit of animation. And then again, another thing of how Bojack and his father seem to relate to one another in too painful of a way. But Scotch has an incredible way at making headlines, Michael, which is not too dissimilar to what we've seen Bojack do yes. throughout the show. But Scotch says, I can see the headline now. Idiot son thinks dad's book is great, comma, son is idiot. <laughs> I love that the book ending it with idiots when he said in the middle the book's great the book's great yeah really really good <laughs> really good stuff um, <laughs> you mentioned it before as well just that amazing animation of time passing by in the house where all of the wallpapers are changing and the furniture and all that stuff beautifully beautifully done um, and also when we get to the end of that you do see that picture which we've seen before which Beatrice takes to Bojack as a gift which ends up on his wall in that uh, in his actual flat which we see later on in the show but we do go from there to Bojack's house in what we know Michael to be or certainly there or thereabouts the year 2000 and why is that because Bojack is holding a mug that says Y2K mug <laughs> <laughs> which I believe we've seen before potentially but uh, it sounds like it's ringing a bell in my head but even if you haven't, a great mug to give you the sense of time, Michael. Yeah. And for anybody who was looking at that and thinking, well, it must be the year 2000-ish, you will have then been looking in the background, Michael, and you would have been thinking, why, if this is the case? Can we see the Hollywood sign on the hills in the background that say Hollywood? Now, yes, you might say, well, she's an unreliable narrator. Maybe she's put this in her head. But it seems like she's got everything else right, so it seems odd. But then we get a brilliant bit of animation here because as she and Bojack are talking about divorce, she says... Oh, sure, that's the Hollywood way. And when she literally says the word the Hollywood way, the D magically appears oh. at the end of the Hollywood sign. Like, snap your fingers, there's the D. I just thought this was... They didn't it's even need to gorgeous. do this. And it is no. absolutely brilliant. Literally on the money, as she says Hollywood, the D reappears at the end of that sign. Amazing. And, of course, it was... Like, even if you... Everything was said about unreliable on the rate, um, like, mess up psyche and all that... In Bojack Horseman universe, it was still Hollywood then. Yeah, it was Bojack, still Bojack took the D. It was Hollywood was an admin call because Bojack yeah. stole the D. Like, um, Bojack literally stole the D. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, Michael. Anybody with the D messing up Hollywood once again. <laughs> <laughs> then another little callback gag for you next. As we open Bojack's fridge, he goes to get his mother a drink. And as he opens the fridge, there's a bottle of wine in the fridge, which he grabs. Weird that it was, it's red wine in the fridge, I should point out, which very specific red wine it would have to be if it was going to be in the fridge. Most of them, oh, that's, yeah. just me, that's, <laughs> just me being, that's just me being picky about red wine. But everything else in that fridge, literally everything else in the fridge is um, lemons, a pile of loose lemons, like a lot of loose lemons, and cartons of sugar. 
which sounds weird to say out loud. It took us a little while to figure out, but of course, this is a reference back to season four, oh, episode two, yeah. the old Sugarman place. It's been referenced many times in this episode, where, of course, she wants an ice cream. She's asking her mother if she can have an ice cream, and uh, Honey Sugarman basically tells uh, Beatrice, she says, you can sprinkle some sugar on a lemon. That's a good, healthy girl snack instead mm-hmm. of ice cream. So obviously still something she's holding the grudge on, Michael, because it's in the fridge yeah. and it's all <laughs> she can see. Again, though, another callback gag here. This time from Bojack. In the episode this week, he mentions that he's got something, something, something. He says, I've got a date with Tonya Harden, of course, which is a reference to a previous gag from the episode where Bojack is recalling all of his um, ex-lovers, trying to figure out who Hollyhock's mother is. Um, obviously, in 1999, he this is 1999 or the year 2000, so roughly that time, he mentions he has a date with Tonya Harden. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get brilliantly, we've mentioned this before because Bojack just clinically can't stop doing this. But even in this conversation with his mother, he starts to say the line, it's not ips and but, and then she cuts him off and continues to talk. This is a layer upon layer reference. It is literally referenced in season one, episode one. Bojack says it in his interview. With Charlie Kaufman, is that right? Does that oh, sound right? what a long time ago that was. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? That is the very first episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, he is referencing something that was said to him in a flashback by his own mother who says, it's no Ibsen. So a layer upon layer of flashbacks, yeah. But from there, we go to the horse, the horseman household, nearly there, nearly at the end. Um, we get that last book reference I mentioned of the three, the rule of three gag, the several months later, uh, the final book in that collection. Uh, we also get Butterscotch mentioning to Beatrice. We talked about little glitches that have happened already in her memory. He says to her, when he's groveling and basically asking her to help him uh, get rid of the baby with Henrietta, he says, do you think I enjoy groveling to my own wife hat in hand? And as he says that, a glitch happens and a hat magically appears in his oh, hand. Tiny little detail because he's that desperate. And obviously because her memory is playing all kinds mm. of havoc in there. Um Interestingly as well, behind them as this conversation's happening, there's the picture of Bojack, um, his mother and his father, where they're both sitting away from each other, facing away, and Bojack's in the middle being ignored, pretty much. That picture sort of fades in and out of the cross-dissolve of the other picture that we've seen of her family, where she's the youngest in the, on the, like in the middle, mm-hmm. and behind her is Cracker Jack, her brother, Honey Sugarman, her mother, and Joseph Sugarman, her father. And it's Interested how they do that and just blur those two images together and just show you the parallels, I guess, between the two. The, the cycle of misery cycle. and abuse. That, it never stops. Yeah. And it never stops. It never physically changes from one to the other either. It just stays on them both mm-hmm. almost as if to suggest, like we mentioned earlier with that coin, the narratives are yeah. kind of blended together at this point in her head, certainly. Um, whew, a quick nod to the brilliant and brutal montage, the Henrietta and Beatrice pregnancies. We've already done plenty on that. We go back across to Beatrice's bedroom, though, as she's a child once again. Um, and this line hit me, really hit me, when we started to get this, where Beatrice is screaming after her baby doll gets taken away, my baby, where's my baby? Which is literally the exact response she gives to Bojack, if you recall, in the episode, the, the before the Judge episode, where he takes, stupid piece of shit, I think it is, isn't it? Where he takes yeah. the baby and throws it off the balcony. Um it's, it's a little literal mirror image of this. So feeling, mm-hmm. you just feel it so much when she yeah. shouts those words out loud. Not nice at all. Um, then the books that we mentioned, the books of the, the beginning of each entry point, like several months, two weeks later, those books are actually 
piled together amongst a bunch of other books and can be seen being chucked on the fire along with everything else. So not only were they side gags to let us know what was going on, they continue to reference them as actual books oh, that get thrown away yeah. and burned because much like the memory, time's arrow, Michael, the time the time reference on those books is just oh. being burned in the fire with everything else. Um, and finally, we go across to the care home. Uh, just quick notable, um, when they first arrive at the care home at the start of this episode, the, we get Beatrice as a young kid, don't we? In the background, it's like this creamy white-looking colour. Mm. Um, well, very similar colour to the interior of her room in the actual um, care home. And it almost feels like it's her going in there. It's like a trigger for this weird moment yeah. of pulling out the, the space that we see her in, which kind of starts to blend. A very early blend of the narratives there, mm. <clears throat> which we don't kind of find out about until the end of the episode, I guess. Um. But I've just written here like a sweet moment, a really sweet moment between, you know, where we left them last at the end of the last episode and where we find them now at the end of this one, pretty much. Bojack just just choosing to lie to Beatrice and basically telling her where she is and telling her she's in the old Sugarman place. And whether he's done it on purpose or not, is that the last place where Beatrice's life was truly happy? The old yes. Sugarman place. The very last place where there was any sense of joy or optimism in her life. She was before, so, before the bottom, obviously. Yeah, life was so good. They had to all be told not to smile when a picture was being taken because that's the way pictures are taken. If they'd have showed their emotions for real, it would have been one of actual happiness for a split second. Absolutely. I just, I just thought it was such a great, tiny little moment of mm. humanity from Bojack there. For a woman who, let's be honest, he probably feels like he has the right to not give that to. He said, he uh, said see you never. Six see you never. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, last but not least, as he's describing Beatrice where she is, he says it's a warm, amongst other things, but the most notable, I think, it's a warm summer night and the fireflies are dancing in the sky. Now, to you and I, that would just be a nice picturesque scene, Michael, but to Bojack and probably to Beatrice, that is quite literal because the two flies that would be dancing in the sky, of course, would be Eddie and Lorraine from season four, oh, episode two, yeah. who were the next door neighbours, of course, at the old Sugarman place. Uh, long before Lorraine passed away and Eddie decided he didn't want to fly anymore, for anybody who remembers that episode. So, yeah, there you go. And last little, yeah. little tidbit for you. But those, finally, mercifully, at the end of this torturous episode <laughs> uh, all of your things from horsing around this week but believe it or not despite this one and this was always going to run long we do apologize this is an episode 11 that's the usual drill where mm -hmm. uh, with, with this show we do still have time though for one last thing and then i swear to god michael honestly i swear to god we'll show up about this podcast and this episode specifically for good would you like to go first go on then because it was something that you said uh, during our conversation that brought this one to mind for me um <laughs> It usually is. <laughs> <laughs> the you tie together the picture of the picture this episode paints of dementia, of dementia with the picture that it paints of mental health in stupid pieces of shit. And in both cases, and I don't know if you were skirting around saying this, and this was a nice mint moment between us two that you kind of like avoided using these exact words, but it is as if the writers, the creators, have indeed climbed into a hole in someone's head. And taking a look. And I just thought, considering what we know of Honey Sugarman and how that is dwelled upon in this episode, it just feels like never have we had a more literal expression of that than in that character and how she is dealt with in this episode. She is a constant shadow. There's that great 
shot where the mere mention of a um briefly shot is it at the debutant ball where yes. you see uh you see joseph and then you see a shadow and it's just of honey frazzled um you don't even make out all the details of her face she's never shown throughout this episode she's nothing more than a shadow a reverse negative and it's all because of that hole in the head certainly is in this in this case michael you could suggest that we are the lobotomy uh which is a truly awful way to look at this because <laughs> <laughs> then it's all our fault um Interestingly, though, in what might be the first time this has ever happened on Podcast Horseman, you have stumbled into my one last thing about <laughs> halfway. But that's okay, because you know, I haven't gone the whole way. My one last thing for this week was indeed going to be in reference to the fact that throughout this entire episode, we are never, ever, ever shown the face of one Honey Sugarman. We never see it at all. It's either a silhouette or it's a shadow, but she is there. She's like a constant reminder mm-hmm. uh, in this episode, lurking in the background, floating around. And I just figured there was a little bit more to this because I feel like on the one hand, uh, she's a constant reminder of probably the first real trauma in Beatrice's mm-hmm. life. The first massive big one. And that the like there's no coming back from this, is that like yeah. That's our mother at the end of the day. She remembers how fun and exciting our mom was, and then after that, it's all gone. Like never to return again. Um but then, because of that, it's a constant presence throughout almost everything that happens in her life. And it just, the lingering way that it's there in the background, it has an impact on every tiny single mm. thing. And they're not going to affect the areas, of course, that because of that, even in this male-dominated society, she doesn't get a mother figure. She ends up getting far too much of an ill-equipped father figure to fill the void, or fill the hole, if you will, that has been left in her life by her lobotomized mother, uh, which obviously works out terribly for her, as we all know. Mm. That's not great. And I feel like this is such a bad thing. Like the lack of a mother figure is kind of shown in both the lack of Honey's face that we see in these flashbacks. That's like the gaping hole that we get. We don't ever get to see her face. But I also wonder if it's just too painful for her to think of her mother. Um, And I just thought it's such a brilliant way to do this where they just don't ever show her. And I just thought it had such a great, huge impact because at the end of the day, as we discussed many times on this podcast, women are the best, Michael. And without them, things are worse. And I think that has kind of been proven here. It also, of course, that ties brilliantly how you just described that to Beatrice believing that Bojack was born with a hole because she's familiar with a human being, her mother, that was given one effectively. So again, it's maybe easier for her to think of it as a more of a natural progression than something that was done to a mother, that was something that changed it irreversibly. I really like that point about how she's, like, if we call her a shadow or a call her whatever, it's the, the important thing is is that she's ultimately this sad presence in all of it. It's, it's nothing, a constant, constant reminder, isn't she? There was no way back. It's funny that you mentioned about Bojack giving her the visual, the nice visual of the eating ice cream on the, on the porch and all that sort of thing, um, because it's just before... Crackerjack dies. Uh, yeah. So it's it's the he locates through his own reminder of that time he spent in the old Sugarman place. He locates the very very last point before the point of no return because that's it. Everything everything changes never to return when <laughs> everything changes to return when her mother has half of her brain cut out. Uh, uh, <laughs> extra, you know extra. what it is. Bojack once said in this show that life is just this 
series of closing doors, isn't it? He said that way back in season one. Mm. I think he's wrong. I think I think their lives in particular are just a series of holes because we get Crackerjack gets shot, which is a bullet hole. That bullet mm. hole leaves a hole in the heart of his mother, which ends up leading her to get a hole in her own head because she just can't get over it. That hole in the head then leaves a hole in Beatrice's life that should have been her mother is missing. That hole then meant that Beatrice was a bit a twisted woman as she got older because of the negative impact of her father, which then leads to her getting pregnant and having Bojack. And it just goes on and on and on. And none of them, Michael, ironically, will ever be whole is the worst part about it all. <laughs> so what you're saying is all these closing doors, they need to be a closing door with a hole, wouldn't it? Such as maybe like a stable door. Yes, maybe so. But Bojack leans over the top if he was looking out for three little orphans. One, two, three. One, two, three. Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> oh God! Oh, <laughs> without no, you've just that's awful because you've just made me think now that we got the the three graves image all wrong from the beginning. <laughs> oh God, that's awful. Let's move on real quick from that. <laughs> We've had too much disaster in this let's episode. Move let's move on and move out, shall we? <laughs> let's move on and move out. Look, that was. Uh, season season four episode 11 i hope you've made it through in one piece you know where to find us if you want to reach out to us but as we do always we'll plug the podcast while we're on do give us a follow a like a share a tweet tweet at us at podcast horseman i'm sure you may have some thoughts by all means do let us know your thoughts on this week's episode or any other episode for that matter or if you are feeling a little bit sheepish, eh? <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> By all means, come in the DMs. Come in the DMs, send us a message. We won't probably be able to reply straight away, but we will eventually get round to it because that's the kind of guys we are. Isn't that right, Michael? <laughs> tired ones. Tired ones. Tired ones or lazy ones. I'll let you decide. <laughs> anyway, if you want more of your tired or lazy favourite boys, you can find me <laughs> at It's Adam Nicholas on Twitter. Or if you want to follow Michael Hamlet, you can do just that. At Michael Hamflet, um, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love you to subscribe, on Spotify, wherever you could follow, on Amazon Music, on Acast, on I don't know, Stitcher, where, somewhere, Stereo, probably. Um, anyway, yeah, if you want to um, listen to the podcast through Twitter, you can do so every Friday at Podcast Horseman, the Acast. Streaming little girl from there, you can subscribe on there as well. And we would love it if you could leave some feedback. If your podcast app allows, uh, which I believe it does on iTunes and Spotify, you can leave us stars, you can leave us a few words, and uh, it'll help us get picked up by those algorithms it'll help us get up higher in the charts it'll help more people talk themselves horse about talking horse with us which is exactly what no problem did thank you no problem for this one it's a really nice one says uh, really enjoying it five stars goes on to say uh, you know how you can tell that sometimes people cover something because they're told to or because they have to and they have no passion this podcast is the complete opposite you can tell both the presenters, brackets, sorry, I can't remember the names off the top of my head. We don't really mind, we don't really mind that, no problem. Uh, absolutely love the show, and through their extraordinary deep dive into each episode, makes every episode of the podcast shine and makes me appreciate Bojack Horseman even more. I love listening to every episode, and I wish podcasters reviewing a TV show would go as in-depth as these guys. I wonder if he's regretting that in this particular episode. If you love Bojack like I do, this podcast is definitely for you. They give it the praise and attention it deserves. I'd give this podcast a six out of five if I could. Great job, guys, and I can't wait till you cover later seasons. Well, it's no problem to us. No problem. Thank you very, very much for that. Very kind feedback. We really appreciate that. This is genuinely, and especially when we go along, uh, if it's a labour of love for you guys to listen, I promise you it is a labour of love for us guys to record. Thank you very much for that feedback. Thank you to all that do leave feedback. Uh, a star on the Hollywood Talk film will be coming across the socials to you very soon. 
Yeah, thank you for that. That's really a really nice uh, review. All the reviews we've had pretty much throughout this time, whether they've been funny or they've been uh, long and sincere ones, they are thoroughly appreciated. They do mean the world to us, especially when we've just walked through or sort of avoided all the mines in an episode 11 of one series of podcast horsemen and Bojack Horseman, as I always have a tendency to say. But as we tell you many times, for every episode 11, my friends, there is an episode 12 just mm-hmm. waiting to save you straight after. I highly advise <laughs> if you are on a hangover from Times Arrow, go and watch episode 12 now. Don't worry about waiting for this podcast. We'll be here next week for your listening needs. But in the meantime, in case you aren't going to watch it, here is the synopsis for the final episode, Michael, of season four, episode <sighs> 12. What time is it right now? Well, believe you me, we've been recording this for two hours and it is late. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the synopsis is as follows. Everything's bad and the show is sad. Oh, good. Right, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, I only joke. I joke. The sadness is gone. The synopsis reads as follows. Princess Carolyn pitches Philbert to company execs, of course, the script that she was given last week by um, Flip McVicker. Todd gets a better business idea and Bojack comes to a realisation about Hollyhock. Well, get with the times, Bojack, my friend because Detectives Hamlet and Nicholas and everybody at home has already figured it out. But if you want to find out what happens on that episode, well, you'll just have to come back next week, won't you? Because <laughs> as much as you hated it, you secretly loved it as well. Anyway, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. 